Good Monday morning. It is the start. Mackling and McNabb with you. McGarry returns next Monday. Brett is taking a week off. I'm not sure this is the week that he would have taken off if given the choice of the other 51 weeks, Loren, but here we are, the end of the year, and sometimes you've got holiday time that you just have to... To burn. As I said to him, so it's warm. You might be waking up this morning, stepping outside and thinking, okay, this isn't so bad. I can do this, but it's cooling down rapidly today and it's going to be cold the next couple of days. We're going to check in with Environment Canada just after 6.15. But as I said to Brett, sometimes having those weeks where it's not outdoor friendly isn't so bad either. It's like when you, you want to go to the lake and you want to swim or you want to get outside and go to the beach, but that means you're busy, busy, busy. And so it's almost like a rain day, a couple of rain days maybe. Just chill, eat. Recharge your batteries, rest. There's no sense rushing outdoors because it's going to feel like minus 30, I think, today. Forced relaxation sometimes is an important thing. So, yes, that was my immediate thought when I got outside this morning, Loren, is, my goodness, it's quite gorgeous. It's very manageable, palatable even. But then I heard the forecast on my way in and I thought, oh, boy, things are going to change today. So we will get to the bottom of that, find out what's going on. And you said the word busy. It felt like a busy weekend. Wherever I went, I was out and about doing some chores, getting caught up on some things. I was under the weather last week, feeling much, much better the last couple of days. So, you know, no groceries in the house and some other things needed to get taken care of. It felt incredibly busy everywhere I was. I don't know if it's more people shopping, more people just getting out. We went out for supper Saturday. Haven't done that in ages. And we felt like, so we had some errands to run. And then we said, you know, the kids are good. They're settled. They're occupied. Why don't we go for supper? And it was only five o'clock. And I thought, oh, it's like feels like wrong. 10? Like I shouldn't, I sh- no, it just, I just mean, I was like, we can't go for supper. It's only five. Like, what are we, 90? You know, like I just felt it's too early. And so we pull up and we went to the keg on McGill off McGilvery, and my goodness, it was jammed, like jammed. It was an hour and a half wait for a table. So then we just sat in the lounge, which was great, and people just kept on coming. And there was Christmas parties and all sorts of things going on. So I, there's a lot happening out there. And as we talk about the cost of living going up, I somehow wonder how people are doing all this because I'm out there too. And am I just deciding I'm going to spend my money and be damned because? You want to just get out and have the good time or it's that time of year where you want to have the good time, Greg. And so you're just like, forget it. I'm not going to stress about it. Spending my money. We've been talking about the increasing price in food forever, it seems, at least in the last year. And we know that inflation has been hitting that particular sector very hard, that part of our budget very hard. And after seven o'clock, we're going to get a prediction for what's to come in 2023. Man, if you thought like me, Surely at some point, the price of food has to go down. If you've been looking at things like blackberries the other day in the store. Six dollars for a It was eight bucks for one container unless I bought four of them at once or something like that. Right? Your iceberg lettuce, which I rant about regularly, is up. Cabbage, which is supposed to be the most affordable food, still up. Everything is up. And there's a new food report out today that has been pretty accurate with its predictions in the past. After seven, we're going to hear how, guess what? 2023 is not looking good either. Nothing's coming down and it's not just going up by one or 2%. They're talking five to 7% on some items. So buckle in, I guess, is the message for the following year. I was having this debate with myself on the way in this morning. What was gas? 152? I saw it at 142 this morning at one of the domos. It was very exciting. That's pretty good. Yeah. So that's... The debate I was having and with myself. And by excited, I mean just better than 202 from three months exactly. ago. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And so I wonder, 
you know, everybody was upset about this concept of the Great Reset. This was uh, something that the that the left wing uh, conspiracy was going to be after and during the pandemic was going to be this Great Reset. Well, the Great Reset has been what's normal for food in terms of pricing, what's normal for gasoline and diesel still over $2 as pricing. As we look at the world price of both those things, in particular with gasoline and oil, you know, you're know you in that realm of that $75, $80, $90 a barrel and it's bouncing back and forth. And so is this the new baseline? Now is where we're going to find $1.40 is the new 90 cents a liter? Do you know where I'm going yes, with this? I hope not. I hope not. I genuinely am one, you know, we've talked so often about the rising cost of goods in this country over the past six, seven months. And I I think maybe I was naive to think it was going to be short-lived. I really did think we'd get to this point in the year. Not that it would go back to normal. I put that in quotes. That it would go back to a more comfortable, at least level for the average consumer. And we're not there at all. And we're going to go even higher next year. And I was reading this morning that the average, and I don't know where this is happening, because labor numbers came out Friday, unemployment rate, is still low in this country. Apparently wages have increased 5% year over year, but that has not kept up with the rate of inflation. I'd love to know who's seen a 5% increase in their wage or salary. Seriously, who? Text me, like 780-6868. If you've actually seen an increase in your wage this year, I'd love to know because good for you and good for your employer. Are you declaring your free agency right now? I'm declaring my free agency. (laughs) If you got an offer of 5% or more, I I just, that's what I'm, I, you know, you get all these numbers chucked at you and none of them sometimes sound very real to me. So I'm looking for the real person behind these numbers. And I think that's always the way to go. And this is sort of a mixed bag segment as we get everyone together this morning because it's based on some very sad news. And I have to confess, Loren, Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb, Brett McGarry returns Monday, by the way. There was a point in time in my life where I think Bob McGrath from Sesame Street might have been my best friend at one point in my youth because he was so kind-hearted, his ability to communicate with kids and the Muppets and and everyone on Sesame Street was just so genuine that once upon a time, Bob McGrath might have been the person I looked up to most in my life. I was probably three. I remember he came to Winnipeg for a personal appearance, and I think it might have been at the Grant Park Theater of some, for some reason, like typically they, they only show movies there, but I think that's where he did a personal appearance, maybe the playhouse. Uh, But Bob McGrath passed away at 90 years old yesterday. And I think Sesame street has had an impact on every single child, regardless of generation for the past 50 years. Yes. One of the original cast members, he played the character, Bob Johnson. I've gone down a real, I never knew. Until this morning, that that was supposedly his real his last name. name. I just, just he was Bob. just Bob. Yeah, no, I, I didn't. I, I don't think that other stuck in with me. But I've gone down a real rabbit hole of Sesame Street shows and clips <laughs> this morning. I don't know about the rest of you. So that yeah. is our question: favorite scenes, favorite moments from Sesame Street, the things that you still do, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, eleven twelve. twelve. Do, 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 do. You know, take it away. Jeff Braun, uh, can I get you sentimental here for a bit? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Why don't we just uh, play the clip there, Jeffrey? (laughs) 
For some reason, it was so exciting when that would pop up in an episode of Sesame Street. You're watching all the Muppets doing their things and learning about sharing and how you got to turn off the faucet when you're done with the sink and stuff like that because Ernie made a mess and Bert was upset. But then this thing would come on and it'd be, yeah, this is awesome. And it's just this little cartoon of like a pinball busting around a pinball inside a pinball machine uh, with the numbers counting up and just helping teach kids how to count i, I didn't guess. know this was what your pick was i'm sorry that just <laughs> jumped in my mind like literally as we were talking sesame street i thought oh, i forgot about the one two three but i think that's just an ex uh, like an example cam of how sesame street just regardless of it being a children's show some of the things just translated and became a part of you for the rest of your life a hundred percent. I mean, I remember, um, you know, my favorite was always uh, Cookie Monster. C is for cookie. That's good enough for me. Because <laughs> it was C for Cameron, C for cookie. When oh. you're that young, I mean, that was always your favorite. So I loved I loved Cookie Monster. But this is the thing that I had to my, – my favorite memory is um, – and my dad would pick us up and he would throw us all over the place. Presenting the further adventures of everybody's favorite hero, the man who is faster than lightning, stronger than steel, smarter than a speeding bullet. It's Super Grover. Yeah. <laughs> so, and he'd be flying. Yeah, he'd be flying. Yeah, then my dad would, would pick us up and he would go, Super Grover, and he would be kind of flying us all over the place. And, you know, like it was something like, I mean, if you know, we, we're we're talking about about Bob McGrath here. I mean, he started in the show in 1969. Yep. He finally ended in 2016. That is a huge, long line of of kids that he impacted. Like that that spans that's that's the baby boom. You know, the end of the baby you know baby boomers all the way up into up until the you know the Zoomers, Gen Z, and that sort of thing. So. Um, that's that's a pretty incredible legacy. Yeah, uh, that's for me as a kid. From when I was born, yeah. I'm born in 69, so I literally grew up with Sesame Street, and my kids watch Sesame Street every day for three, four years yeah, of their too. lives, and all the generations in between. What about you, McNabb? So what I started off looking for this morning, and I need someone to help tell me if this is right or wrong, Oscar the Grouch, who I don't think is a character on the show anymore, but there'd be every once in a while, he'd go into his garbage can and you got to see what life was like below the can. That and was I, so exciting. Am I wrong? That happened? That was so exciting because you got to- It was. It, it was pretty, Hold it was on. pretty roomy down there. It was like a full basement. They they showed inside <laughs> Oscar's garbage can? It was very can? rare. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it happened, right? Yeah, yes, like once. Sure. It, it, was ra- it was like Snuffleupagus rare. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. No, so I feel like the, ima- the way they had you imagining what the possibilities were and then yeah. when you went in there, you're like, this is so much better than I ever thought his garbage yeah. can was ever going to be. There's so much space down there. There's books. There's old bananas. There's what's the worms and Slinky, the uh, earth, slimy, slimy uh, the earthworm. Yeah, yeah. So there's the part of you as a child that you adapted to. And then even as an adult, I went looking at all the different characters like Robert De Niro and different songs and oh. singers over the years. Paul Rudd. I was just watching this right now. I just want to play with it. They were the, the, the famous Hollywood actors would get so into being on Sesame Street that Paul Rudd came back a couple times as Earth. And then we just sing. It gives us everything we and need. And he's dressed in the globe, the like outfit, puffy, and he's into so it. Yes, you should, you should go look this Show up. Earth rocks, like everybody loved it. If you were a celebrity being on Sesame Street, that's when you knew you rocked. Yeah, that's a really good point, Jeff Forte. I'm dying to know what uh, your favorite part of Sesame Street was. Oh, I was going to have to play this. 
Rubber ducky, yes. you're the one. You make bath time lots of fun. That's right. Bath time would be so much fun. Ernie, yeah, you had to have a rubber ducky for your bath. Yes, because of like like 100%. the rubber duck industry owes Ernie. I, does anybody know Ernie's last name? A debt. Uh, that's uh, unrepair, unrepayable. Yeah, I was going to say Johnson. <laughs> you read my mind, Cab. Okay, mine is a little bit more fun and frivolous just because these two characters didn't show up on the show enough when I was a kid, but they made me laugh every single time. Not Mars. Hello. Greetings. Oh, they're trying to talk to the phone yep, here. Cow. This is the one with the phone. This yeah. is this is one of their first appearances, actually. And I think they've got it all figured out, right? The telephone's in the window. First, it's a cow. Yeah. Then a cat. Yeah. There we go. And then this scares the bejesus out of him. Oh. I haven't heard this for 25 years. That's awesome. So, do you want to go see the Winnipeg Jets and the Vegas Golden Knights one week from Tuesday at Canada Life Centre? Share with us, in honour of the late, great Bob McGrath, your favourite Sesame Street moments. Our third M, McGarry, missing... Till next Monday, Mackling and McNabb with you through the week. And we want to thank you so much for your Sesame Street memories at 204-780-6868. We'll get to some of those in our next segment. But we do want to start this second hour of the start at the grocery store. And if you're looking for relief in the store in the months ahead, I'm afraid you're going to have to look somewhere else. Yes, the folks behind Canada's food price report are predicting a 5 to 7% food price increase this year. What does that mean? Well, the average family next year will spend more than $16,000 on food. That's up another $1,000 from what you've already spent this year. This annual report is put together by the folks at Guelph, UBC, University of Saskatchewan, and Dalhousie Universities. And uh, the big question we have is why? I think many of us were thinking eventually we'd see prices come down. For more, we're joined by Sam Taylor of Dalhousie. Good morning, Sam. Good morning, Lauren and Greg. Thank you so much for having me. So I had just said it. What's going on? Because I think people had hoped that this would be short-lived. It's now been six, seven, eight months of higher than normal prices, and we're going to see it continue to climb next year, Sam? Yes, unfortunately, uh, that is what we're forecasting. So I think in order to understand 2023, we first have to look into what happened in 2022, especially what happened that was unexpected. So first off, uh, Ukraine, uh, the war in Ukraine, uh, as well as the in a 40-year high in inflation. So the inflationary trends um, with the global tensions, as well as still seeing the effects of COVID-19 supply chain, all of these impacts will carry on forward into 2023 and affect, continue to affect food prices. 
Also, we've seen some severe drought in some of the prime vegetable and fruit growing mm-hmm. regions of North America, in particular California. How is that going to continue to impact prices going into 2023, Sam? Absolutely. Well, like you said, with our food imports right now uh, for 2023, uh, combined with uh, the high oil prices, we are expected to see an impact uh, for fruits, about 3 to 5%. And veggies, uh, as you mentioned, is going to be our hardest hit, our highest uh, food inflation category, looking for uh, price increases at about 6 to 8% in 2023. I've already heard from people, Sam, you know, saying like th- that they may not be a produce family anymore, maybe not fresh produce, or they're mm. making changes to mm-hmm. how they eat because of the cost of goods. And I don't want to d- doubt your findings, but it would make me feel better to know that have you ever got this wrong before or are you usually these predictions fairly accurate year over year? Oh, Lauren, um, well... So last year at this time, uh, we were calling for a 5 to 7% increase, and people called us alarmist. They said that's way too high. And turns out, uh, you know, the actual food inflation, due to those items I mentioned before, the unforeseen global tensions, actually had food uh, increase at 10 or food inflation at 10.3% as of uh, September 2023. However, I will say, uh, you know, uh, it's at 10.1% in October 2022, pardon me. So we are we are starting to see the increased, um, you know, amount decrease. However, that still means that food will be more expensive into 2023. I do want to give a little bit of a hope for optimism, though, uh, if I may. Please. And that's while food will continue to increase into 2023, and as you mentioned, likely impact uh, consumer purchasing behavior, we are anticipating a higher Canadian dollar. Uh, and what that means is uh, increased purchasing power so that we, we do purchase those imports to bring them back into Canada, uh, like from California, the fruits and veggies, we will have uh, lower costs as well as managing the supply chain and seeing uh, those impacts of COVID-19 start to subside. Uh, the latter half of 2023, uh, we predict to see uh, less uh, food price increases. I'm looking at a section of the report right now that indicates a couple of provinces in the country may see the the amount of the increase uh, go down, be lower than elsewhere. Can you tell us why food price increases in Newfoundland and Labrador and, and Quebec may be less than they are here on the for sure. So Quebec is really close uh, to Ontario, um, as as is the price, but on the other side, and they're closer to the uh, transport corridor. And the transport corridor helps with logistics, so ability to ship um, ship goods out. Uh, so, and same with uh, Newfoundland. So we're looking to see an inc- uh, decrease, pardon me, uh, relative to the other provinces as far as the input cost, the cost in order to get the food to the shelves for the customers. Bottom line, the prices I'm paying this year stick and go even higher depending on what I'm buying. Unfortunately, yes. Do we get like right to... Sorry, Sam, I didn't mean to, to interrupt you there, but you know, like right down to the, 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 the $5 lettuce that so many people have been lamenting. And, and I think that's just a, sort of one of those benchmark items where people, mm-hmm. if it's 99 cents, people are comfortable with certain parts of their life and it's $4 or $5, the sky is falling. It, are there some items that within those categories that, that might help us feel better eventually? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So while there are price for, uh, price increases forecasted for all categories, uh, the consumers can still be, you know, optimistic to see deals in with even within the categories. So it means, you know, shopping, shopping the deals, whether or not it's lower price goods, such as bananas. Uh, the bananas have been able to, not only because they have a longer shelf life and they tend to, you know, hand, um, you know, handle the transport a little bit better, but because uh, the growers have also been able to manage their costs and pass on those, you know, relative savings or at least not price increases to the consumers. Uh, so we are also expecting that, um, you know, with the economic slowdown that we're already seeing in 2022 extend into 2023, that will, you know, drive down the prices of higher priced items, you know, people will be purchasing less goods that are more expensive and therefore a supply and demand, it will, you know, naturally decrease those prices. So within the food categories, absolutely look for the deals, you know, consider switching to frozen veggies or, you know, mixing up some fresh and some frozen veggies so that you still get your nutrients, but you perhaps don't have that, you know, that large hit to your wallet. Sam Taylor, Dalhousie University. Thank you for the time and the info this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on, Lauren and Greg. Maybe it's about planning, Greg, too, right? I was thinking, you know, a year ago about buying another steer should have, but I thought in my mind, surely prices won't be as bad, you know, this year as they were last year. And then this year they got worse. And then, you know, it just keeps going and going. And so it makes you think when you do see those deals, do you have an opportunity or even the money in your wallet to stock up? It's one thing to say I should stock up when, when prices are low and you see that great deal, but you still need to have that extra money in your pocket to do so. Loren, you have an ability to make bad news sound good, but after listening to that weather forecast, <laughs> I'm shivering over here. Well, I just, I was reading it, it's minus 22, and then I thought, oh, I better remind people it's going to feel like minus 30, because that's a game changer if you're sending the kids out the door, you know, you want to make sure they're dressed properly, you're thinking, maybe I don't need ski pants, eh, you know, depending uh, on their age. Do and- I not, not <laughs> miss the... Do I have to wear the ski pants? Do I have to wear a scarf today? Well, I a, don't miss that battle are your every kids morning. not at the age, though? Mine are every once in a while. Why do I need a coat? And I'm like, excuse me? Oh, yeah. What do you mean, why do I need a coat? And do, I know when I was in junior high and high school, like, I was all, I don't need a coat. I'll just suffer through this hoodie walk to school or whatever. But dumb. Yeah. Do up your jacket. You know, Dad, you don't get sick from being cold. It's a virus. Get your jacket just on! Just because <laughs> I said so! Uh, Sesame Street never uh, barked at anybody like that. Uh, we learned from subtlety. We learned through kindness. We learned through repetition. And we're talking about Sesame Street and your famous and favorite Sesame Street bits in honor of the now late Bob McGrath. One of our listeners said, in the early 1970s in a Winnipeg high school, my favorite Sesame Street character became Big Bird. I loved the study of English literature in high school. And in grade 12 at that time, our English teacher was the spinning image of the character Big Bird. She was a whiz in English literature herself and the nicest person ever. I don't think she ever knew her nickname. We kept it from her as we joked amongst ourselves as grade 12s that she was so nice that we would never want to ruffle her feathers. Oh, well played. Listen, you want to go to the Jets game? We've got tickets. You need to tell us your favorite scene from Sesame Street or one of your favorite bits or characters. We 
promise, we're working on a new question of the day. Brought to you by Credit Aid. Struggling with debt? Call 204-987-6890. CreditAid.ca. Loren McNabb, Greg Mackling with you. I can't get into the question of the day. My passwords, none of them are working, so... Brett, we need you to come in just to change the question of the day. He even sent an email out this morning super early saying, here's how you do it. And I'm like, Step yeah, by step, I know instructions how to do it, complete but with pictures. I can't do it without a password, and I'm so done with passwords. Like, I just, I know you're not supposed to have the same one, but I cannot keep 97 different passwords for everything that I need out there. And uh, yesterday for me was multi-factor authentication day. I must have done it seven times getting into my various things to set me up with stuff at home in case I needed to be at home. I don't like to <sighs> leave it until the morning. I like to get everything set up if I can. And so, uh, yeah, it was uh, probably about 15 minutes of proving who I was to my employer and all the associated computer programs that allow us to do what we do. Anyway, so uh, bear with us as we try and get you a new question of the day. The one that's up there now has to do with the leaf, which opened over the weekend. Were you there? I saw lots on social media. People were absolutely blown away by the facility. That's the new indoor garden. They've got a butterfly garden. I think it was four different uh, biomes. It's supposed to be spectacular. I haven't been there yet. Did you see it? Were you impressed? 204-780-6868. In our next segment, we will give away tickets to see and to visit the the Winter Wonderland, Canada Inns, presenting at Red River Exhibition Park through January 7th. We've got a ticket for a carload of folks to go and experience that. That's coming up, as I said, in our next segment. And coming up at 9.15, we will tell you who amongst you, you Sesame Street lovers you, who are sharing your Sesame Street memories with us at 204-780-6868. We're going to, we're, are going to go and see the winner, that is, Tickets, uh, Winnipeg Jets, Las Vegas, Golden Knights. I know it's not Las Vegas. It's Vegas, Golden Knights. I, whatever you want to do with your name is fine with me. VGK, a week Tuesday at Canada Life Center. One of our listeners says, my best memory of Sesame Street was when everyone got together to see how many steps it would take to go from Sesame Street someplace else. I remember that Snuffy and Big Bird and a bunch of kids and adults all walked to the destination. They had to count their steps to see how many steps it would be to get there. When they got, there was a little bit of a kerfuffle about it because everybody got different step counts, different numbers, Loren. They go on to say in the end, the conclusion was that Big Bird, kids, adults, and other things step differently. This listener says, I've always been different when it comes to my life. And so the street helped me understand the differences were not only all right, but they were good. Yeah, the lessons are almost endless. On the street. I forgot how we like to shorten it to, ah, the street. One, two, three, Sesame Street. One of the great places in our lives. Bob McGrath, in case you're uh, just tuning in, Bob McGrath passed away over the weekend at the age of 90. His life was a gift to millions of us, and we're celebrating the gift. That is Sesame Street. Uh, 54 years later, I think it's 54 years in June or July that we'll celebrate the first ever episode of Sesame Street. We want to shift gears here in this half hour and bring on a conversation about the Winnipeg Jets. It was an interesting weekend, shall we say, for the Jets and their fans, Loren. On Friday morning, I, I recall us insisting that this team had turned the corner and they'd learned not to play down to the level of their opponent and how, lo and behold, what happens Friday night? 
the 30th place. The Columbus Blue Jackets come into Canada Life Centre and the Jets allow them to look like the team competing for first place in their division. Then yesterday, the last place team in the league comes to town less than 24 hours after the end of their game Saturday in St. Paul. And they opened with a 2 nothing lead before the Jets... Take a breath. Found their game. Listen, I'm the head coach, so I'm responsible for the way we start and getting our team prepared. So that starts with me. The second thing is I'm not a babysitter. These guys are men. They're professionals, and they're paid to show up, ready to go to work. My job is is to make that happen. The third thing on that would be you cannot play this game without passion, without emotion. You cannot play this game on our heels, and I hate when we're on our heels. So it's not right. That's head coach Rick Bonus joining us now on the start as co-host of the Jets at Noon, Jim Toth. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And I kind of like that clip. I'm not their babysitter. What do you make of it? I love that clip. And by the way, I think Rick Bonus would be outstanding on Sesame Street. He would. It could be a topic. It'd be like, hi, Rick. Hi. How do we get good starts? Well, good starts (laughs) are... Um, and I think it would be awesome. And Cookie Monster would have to be there as well. I love the clip. Look, I love everything Rick Bonus is saying. And in a weird, weird way, because the way they wanted Barry Trotz and went after him, and I still think Barry Trotz would be a great coach, this is exactly what the Jets, this version of them, needed at this point. A 67-year-old coach on a two-year contract, not three, that isn't looking for the next contract, isn't looking to sort of build his resume, isn't looking to get a team into the playoffs and do that for a couple of years and then see where we go. This is a guy that wants this team to win now. This is a team that needs to win now, contract-wise and where they are with most of their core. So I think everything Rick Bonus says is, is right and bang on. The only thing I'll, I'll deflect a little bit to, and I get it, it's the coach's person or job to get a team ready. And what I think a coach's job is to get them ready is to get them into the game, get them the system they want to play, get them the video on who they're playing and how they want to go about this game and get them prepared as much as possible. But if you're a professional hockey player and you're not ready at the start of a game, and it happens in an 82-game schedule, but if it happens twice in the same week, there's an issue there. And, and I think that it's great that Rick Bonus said that after the game last night because I see 10-year-olds who have a hard time calming down before the puck drops. I don't know how a professional player isn't sort of in the game. Now, I get it. You're not going to be at your peak some games and you're not going to have a good start, but you're, you're going to be engaged and you're going to be willing to do the things that you need to do like we saw in the second half of yesterday's game against Anaheim. So uh, Rick Bonus is a perfect fit for this team at this moment. He says things directly and to them. And if he's saying it to us in the media and the fans, you know that he's saying that in the room too. And I think the, the players are, uh, respect that. The biggest part of yesterday's start after Friday's game against Columbus, I was surprised they didn't start well in the first period. I was stunned that the second period started that way. I thought after the first period, and given what happened Friday, this team would come out on fire in the second period, and they didn't until about the 9 or 10 minute mark. Jim, uh, first of all, apologies for the multiple text messages and emails last night and confirming you for this visit <laughs> this morning. I apologize. No I, problem. I know it's a Sunday. You've got uh, you've got a life outside this radio station. Some of us don't. Uh, <laughs> let, let, let me apologize for not getting back to you sooner, but I don't text and drive and the roads were bad. Okay, well, fair enough. Well, well, you're here now and that's all that matters. I, I think fans, observers, the media, we had Sarah Lesky on the, on the program the last Friday. I think, I think I think that a lot of us were beginning to trust this team, that that we were seeing 
the genuine article that what we were seeing on the ice wasn't a mirage, that the Jets weren't, in the words of, of Paul Stastny from a, a year and a bit ago, cheating the game, and that the Jets were deserving of the record. Do we need to reassess that point of view a bit after what we saw Friday night and Sunday afternoon? I think I would raise the question. I don't know if we need to um, sort of raise the red flag and panic again. I, I know it, this <laughs> this fan base has been scorned. And so when familiar things creep up, it, it goes right back to a dark place. And I understand that. The difference is, is there's new leadership here. And a lot of fans in the offseason were asking, like, well, they didn't change anything. And I'm like, well, it's hard to change what you got unless you're going to get better. And it's hard to get better than what the Jets have. I've always said for three or four years now, this is a really good hockey team. This is a really talented team. So what is plaguing it? And and you mentioned Sarah Oleski. I happened to be sitting beside her in the press box, and we had a long discussion. And I was just asking her, because I haven't been in the room, you know, for a year, for a couple of years now. Um, and she said, well, from last year to this year, it's like a cloud is lifted. Everybody's happy. Everybody's smiling. She says, when games like Friday happen, um, you've been around this core group that, you know, then it gets more intense and it gets less fun. And she goes, that's not happening this year. So um, I, I think that Rick Bonus, as direct as he is and refreshing as, as this team needs it, I wouldn't panic about this. There has been far more good with this team under Rick Bonus and this core than there has been bad. And when the bad stands out, I think it's because we go to past history right away and go, here we go again. What we don't do is go back to, you know, they had that game in Minnesota and then they rattled off um, six points off Central Division rivals and came into Columbus. It's tough at any level of sport, we talk about it, not to play down to your level. And, And I think this team should be past that, don't get me wrong. But it's not like this is irreversible. I'm fascinated by Tuesday's game against Florida with what's happened with this team and how they come out. I was fascinated, and and that's why I was surprised against Anaheim, the way they played against Columbus. So I wouldn't panic with red flags. But the great thing about Rick Bonus is is there's no festering here. There's no, well, this better not happen again, and we'll see if it does. This this happened. I didn't like it. It's not good, and we got to stop it. And, And that's what I like about what he's addressed. He said, I heard a lot of great things yesterday after the loss to Columbus, but talk means nothing to me. This is the kind of approach I think this core at this time needs. Jim, we're going to have to leave it there. Now you're going to have lots of time to go over this back and forth with Cam in uh, Jets at noon. And you're right, I, th- I think tomorrow night is a big game. And uh, people do have to remember, Patrick Laine, uh had been out of the lineup for an extended period of time with the Blue Jackets. He and Jack Roslovic come into town. You know that it, their teammates were jacked up on Friday night to try and make an impact and win that game on their behalf. But, you know, frustrating for fans who are like, yeah, I'm going to go to a Friday night game. Maybe the Jets are going to light it up and it was a pretty frustrating experience for a lot of people that were there. It was. And Friday I don't want to sugarcoat that, Greg, quickly. Like that, that's it's not acceptable. That that team had seven AHL players on it, and we saw what happened with it. This Jets team, and that's what I think friends, fans get frustrated with, is much much better than that, and they've got to start showing it. And and that's why the rest of the season after the good start will be fascinating. All right. Hopefully, you and Cam have some good arguments at noon. Jets at noon, twelve <laughs> till one, and then it's the Jim Toe Show. Time by Loretta. One till three, Jim Toth joining us this morning. As usual, we have to give a shout out to every single one of you who've taken the time to send us a text message with your Sesame Street memories. If we haven't responded, it's not because we haven't read 
your text message. We've just been inundated dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of text messages this morning. And a lot of you uh, were on board with me, with the uh, Martians that land on Earth, you know, the Sesame Street Martians? Not Mars. Nope. 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 Earth. 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 Yep, 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 yep. Hello. Greetings. 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 Hello. So, of course, they've got their fancy book, right, that uh, helps them figure out all the different things. And they go through the process of elimination. And it's just an example of that repetition with humor and logic that helped us as kids get to the answer. And it was ingrained in us, so many things ingrained from our times uh, watching Sesame Street. But Bob McGrath, who passed away at age 90 over the weekend, had a big impact on many of us. And I know he came to Winnipeg. I know I was in the same room with him at one point in time, Loren. And I'm just wondering if perhaps I was at the same event as Andrea was in the early 1980s. Andrea says sometime around 1980, Bob McGrath was hosting or maybe just doing a spot on the Jerry Lewis telethon. I was part of a choir who got to perform with him on air. I remember feeling so starstruck, being so close to such a legend. Interesting. So I'm going to have to dig into that myself a little more and see if I've got a false memory going on there. Ken, Ernie and Bert. I mean, Ernie and Bert were like um, uh, Timon and Pumbaa. To a certain extent, right? With regard to who they were in the show, they were that comic relief and they had that back and forth, even though they lived with each other. Nice guy, the crusty guy. The odd couple, maybe, you know, uh, Felix and Oscar. uh, And I'm not talking talking Oscar the Grouch. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about going back to the old time TV show. And Ken said, Ernie pours grape juice for Bert and himself. Bert notices Ernie poured more for himself and calls him out. Ernie responds by drinking his juice <laughs> until it was level with Bert's. Still makes me chuckle. Yeah, those two were characters. And then Christian says, my favorite memory was the time my siblings and I were on Sesame Street for a special segment that was filmed in our kitchen. What? My grandfather was instrumental in the magic community in Manitoba and Canada, for that matter. He was repro- re- approached for them to film us. Kids, this would be the CBC then. And my two brothers, my sister, two of my cousins, my grandfather were all filmed for a special segment and it was the highlight of my life. This was 35 years ago and the clip can still be found on YouTube. Amazing. They were on Sesame Street. So there's people who starred on it, people who just have the laughable memories. But this one came in early and there was actually a few people who had a similar sentiment because really at the end of the day was about what you learned from Sesame Street. And so Andy had this to say, Greg, he is our winner or Andy is our winner. Good morning. My family moved to Canada from Germany in 1969 when I was about two years old. I loved Sesame Street and my best memory is that mom would always watch it with me. Became our thing. What I didn't know until much later was that my mom didn't speak a word of English when she came to Canada. She learned numbers, letters, and counting together with me through Sesame Street. My last visit with my mom was November 3rd at Grace Hospital. We reminisced how she had learned English from Sesame Street and loved watching with me. She passed away the next morning after that conversation. Andy, thank you for sharing that. And thank you to everyone. We had so many tremendous stories come in. We couldn't keep up. But that one really touched us with you and your mom learning together. And of course, she just recently passed. So our condolences to you. You are our winner of a pair of Jets 
tickets they'll take on the Vegas Golden Knights next Tuesday, December 13th. We'll be in touch for your details. It was about minus 12 when I got in my vehicle this morning, Loren. It was quite delightful, quite frankly, in relative terms She's for not, this first week of December. How often do you say at four in the morning? What a nice day. Not all and that often. And then you step often. outside at noon and think, not as good as it started. Yeah, exactly. So that wind has picked up, the temperature's dropping. As promised, we could see some snow over the next couple of days. Colder temperatures through Wednesday, and then things do start to warm up. So it's not it's not a disaster, but it's, uh, you know, it could be better. Could be better. That's all right. That's a, that's a semi-optimistic way to put it. I like it. I'm uh, looking, uh, look over your shoulder. I can see an aircraft taking off from uh, Richardson uh, International Airport. And I can, I always do this at this time of year. I wonder where those people are going. It's got to be some folks. Yeah, they're on business. Milwaukee. They're Don't not get too going, excited. They're not going to Milwaukee. Just Milwaukee. Yeah, is yeah. that that new uh, twice daily Winnipeg. flight? Winnipeg, Winnipeg to, to Milwaukee. Mm, mm, misery loves loves company, I suppose. Hey, by the way, just want to give you one more uh, opportunity or one more option to sign up for the Health Report 2.0 for St. Bonaventure Hospital Foundation tomorrow. Be a lifeline.ca. That's a new website that they've started in the last oh four months or so. So you can check that out. Sign up. We'd love to have you join us. Uh, that's coming up between twelve o'clock and one o'clock tomorrow. We want to start this half hour with regards to the economy. Despite signs of economic slowdown, Canada's labour market continues to grow. The unemployment rate sits at 5.1%, and in November, wages were up, supposedly, Loren, 5.6% compared to a year ago. I know not everyone has seen that, and not everyone is feeling that. You know, whenever we talk about the labour market and the unemployment rate, we inevitably have people write in and say, well, I've tried. I've tried to get these jobs and it's not working for me. And it doesn't mean jobs are easily found because our next guest has a story that they want to share. They graduated from the University of Manitoba with a degree in human ecology. Like so many graduates, had high hopes of a full-time job. But when they went looking for work, were told again and again they needed a car and a driver's license. Well, Tamara doesn't have those. She's lived with low vision since birth. But the story doesn't end on a sour note, thanks to a program at the Canadian National Institute for the Blind, Tamara's future looks bright. So we want to say good morning to Tamara Fraze. Hi, Tamara. Hi. And of course, Thomas Simpson, the executive director of the Come to Work program at CNIB. Hi, Thomas. Good morning, Lauren. Good morning, Craig. So, Tamara, before we get into the great work that you're doing now, could you maybe just walk us through that time when you did graduate? You were putting out those job feelers after the U of M, and, and what were you hearing back? For sure. Um... No, I, I graduated. It kind of snuck up on me a little bit. I was, I was looking at my graduation date and going, oh, it's right there. And so, you know, of course, I had to get a job. And it, <clears throat> it's, it's kind of a scary thing to think, you know, you're leaving university. Um, I was working part-time as what we call a step student for the government of Manitoba, which was very nice. But we all know the government can be very accommodating when it comes to people with disabilities and uh, my term was going to end as I was no longer a student. And so I had to start applying other places. And when you walk into that interview and you have a white cane, you have dark glasses on, it's very evident that you have a disability. It's out there. Everybody knows about it. And, of course, it's not in your resume. 
it's not in your cover letter because you very quickly, you hear about it, you find out about it. You, you don't put that in there because then, well, why am I not getting any interviews kind of thing sometimes? Of course, not always, but, you know, and so you, it, it's hard because you, you do have to go in there prepared for the fact that these employers are already going to know about your disability. No, they can't legally ask about it, but they know it's there. So Thomas, I want to ask you how common Tamara's story is in just a moment, but Tamara, I always lived by the motto, just get me the interview. And so yeah. the idea of, of you just being able to get in that room, were you, were you able and have you been able to sort of, I don't want to use the terminology overcome. I'll let you uh, select the terminology, but have you been able to uh, convince, like most of us have had to do in our lifetime, convince somebody that you're the right first person for the job based on getting that interview? You are right. Getting the interview is a big piece of, of getting that job. And we, we like to say that we're breaking down the barrier between what it means to be a person with disabilities in the workplace and what we're able to do and what kind of people think we can do. And I currently do work for the, the, the Canadian National Institute for the Blind, so I was able to, to get a job. So in, in the end, yes, I convinced the CNIB I was a great fit. And while I understand that, yes, the CNIB is exactly what I need because I am visually impaired, it's convincing the employer that you are the perfect fit or you're a great fit for that job is very challenging, even if you don't have a disability. And, you know, in some of my interviews that I had in previous places, I could see it on a person's face and their body language. They were very skeptical. They did not know how I was going to do X, Y, or Z. Sometimes I got asked about it. Hmm. And, you know, it's it makes it challenging, but... You know, I convinced the CNIB it was worth taking a shot on, so that says something. Thomas, how common is Tamara's story? Because, you know, like if, if you're hearing it, it's it's almost, I, I wonder if it's as much as the ploy, employers asking the question about how someone would do the job versus they, they themselves just don't know how, how to tackle it and therefore just shy away from it out of just the pure fear of the unknown. Tell us about what you hear from both clients who might be looking for a job, but the employer who might not be sure how to help in this situation. Absolutely. So it's it's really unfortunate that you know Tamara's story is not a special one for the you know 57,000 Manitobans who are blind and partially sighted. This is something that they face uh, day in day out, uh, and it is because of the uh, I would say the, the bias and stigmas that society has on people with disabilities, but people who are blind and partially sighted, they just don't know how they can do the job. The good news is, uh, as Tamara is sharing with us, uh, people who are blind and partially sighted can do most of the jobs that any of their sighted counterparts can do, maybe just with uh, some special training or, or technology. Um, you know, there's been a, some fair research done, uh, and it, you know, it doesn't have to cost a lot of money to provide accommodations to ensure that people who are blind or partially sighted uh, can do the jobs that they need to, maybe just with uh, you know, specialized technology, something that will read information to them on a computer, for example. So I know that this isn't going to necessarily translate uh, every single time 
uh, Tamara, but I'm sitting here and I've got a big smile on my face because I was in the restaurant business for a long, long time. And I sort of had a mantra when I was hiring people. I wanted people that were energetic, people who were thoughtful, think people who were kind and polite, and people that, that wanted to learn new things. I didn't care if you had any experience. I could teach you how to do all that stuff. But even sitting here and I'm thinking about my rest, the restaurant world, visually impaired, uh, dealing with that. I'm trying to think, where could I find a place for Tamara in my organization? Does that often become the larger issue? I like you. I like what you can bring to the table. I just can't figure out how we can do this. And that that is a very good attitude towards people with, with disabilities. We can do things, but yeah, it's a very big challenge sometimes to think, how how is that going to happen? Um, and we do have participants in our program who they do work in a kitchen it is sometimes looking at what are the tasks that your your goal is to do now how are we going to do that and every person with sight loss every person with a disability is going to do it differently there is no cookie cutter way Mm -hmm. to do all of this and it really comes down to just ask us let us show you let us you know you may not think, okay, well, how does a person, you know, handle these big, sharp knives? And, you know, sometimes my mom, she's a little hesitant to give me that sharp knife because it's true. I could cut my finger off. I mean, really. But, you know, we've come up with ways. I, I cut up celery. I cut up carrots. I cut up potatoes. Sometimes, yes, I do nick myself. But the thing is, we've come up with ways where we know where our fingers are. We know where the knife is. It does come down to a little bit of trust that we, we know what we're doing, but like at the same time, it is a thing of let us show you. Like We ask you to be open-minded to see how something is done. For example, if I need to read a restaurant menu, not a lot of them are accessible. And of course, we're seeing more and more things happen like QR codes, which where we have accessible technology on our phones. We can scan that QR code. We can have our screen reader read it to us. I can magnify it, um, things like that. And I can read that menu or I can have it read to me, but sometimes that's not a factor. So sometimes I have to take my camera on my phone, open it, zoom in, and read the menu. So, like, it's just different ways of letting us show you how – we can do the task. There are going to be tasks that we just can't do. We can't go fly a plane. We can't drive a car. We can't maybe, you know, some people struggle to cook a piece of steak. Like, it, it's a factor, but sometimes we have workarounds, and it's just allowing us to show you those workarounds and the right person who's willing to put in that effort and in that, in that work to work with us at the end of the day, they're, we're both going to win. We're going to get a job. You're going to learn something new. Well, Tamara, I don't want to steal you away from CNIB because you're doing great work there. But if anyone's listening right now, I can guarantee you with that kind of attitude and that explanation, you will be coveted in future jobs as well. And Thomas, <laughs> we're almost out of time. So I just wanted to get some information out. If someone's listening, and particularly right now, when we know that there, there's a struggle to find good workers like Tamara with great attitudes, where, where can they go to find more information for the Come to Work program at CNIB? 
Absolutely. So employers can go to cometowork.ca where uh, they can fill out a form and we'll have one of our fantastic uh, staff like Tamara get in contact with you. We provide awareness training to employers. Uh, and I'll just plug that for some of the pre-employment work out there or supports out there. Uh, CMAB does work with our sister organization, Vision Lots Rehabilitation in Manitoba, to ensure that people can uh, get ready for that um, for that interview so that they can uh, showcase their skills and talents like Tamara uh, has been able to and get that job that they want. Thomas Simpson, Executive Director of Come to Work. That's at the CNIB. And Tamara Fraze, uh, absolute inspiration. And uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how I could steal you away and have you working for me as well, Tamara. So, sorry, Thomas. But, sorry, uh... Thomas. She, she might not last long there. Oh, wow.